from Chris Goswami. I've got a question for you this morning. Where in the Bible does it show God running? Where is he in a real hurry? I can only think of one place where we see a sprinting God. But let me tell you a story. It's based on a story written by Philip Yancey that appears in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? A young girl grows up next to an apple orchard, not far from here, a Lancashire town just outside Manchester. Her parents, a bit old-fashioned, tend to overreact to the stud in her lip, the music she listens to, and the length of her skirts. They ground her a few times, and she seethes inside. I hate you! She screams at her father when he knocks on the door of her room after an argument. And that night, she acts on a plan that she has mentally rehearsed scores of times. She runs away. She takes all her money and gets on a bus to London. Her second day there, she meets two men who are driving flashy cars. They offer her a ride, buy her lunch, and arrange for a place for her to stay. They give her some pills that make her feel better than she's ever felt before. She was right all along, she decides. Her parents were keeping her from all the fun. The good life continues for a month, two months, a year. The men introduce her to other young people and teach her how to sell drugs on the streets to folks passing by. She lives in a smart flat. Occasionally she thinks about the folks back home, but their lives now seem so boring that she can hardly believe she grew up there. She's allowed to smoke now as well, and soon she's smoking nearly 20 cigarettes a day. She has a brief scare one day when she sees her picture printed on the back of a newspaper, along with lots of other teenagers and the headline, Have You Seen This Child? But by now, her hair's blonde, and with all the makeup and body-piercing jewellery she wears, nobody would mistake her for a child. After a year, the first signs of illness appear, and it amazes her how fast the boss turns mean. These days we can't mess around, he growls, and before she knows it she's out on the street without a penny to her name. She can beg for some money and steal the odd purse, but it's not much, and all the money goes to support her drug habit. When winter blows in, she finds herself sleeping on metal grates outside big department stores. Well, sleeping is the wrong word. A teenage girl at night in downtown London can never relax her guard. Dark bands circle her eyes. Her coffee's getting worse. One night, as she lies awake, listening for footsteps, all of a sudden everything about her seems different. She no longer feels like a woman of the world. She feels like a little girl, lost in a cold and frightening city. She begins to whimper. Her pockets are empty, and she's hungry. She needs a fix. She pulls her legs tight underneath her and shivers under the newspaper she's piled atop her coat. Then something jolts. Something snaps in her memory, and a single image fills her mind. It's May. She's back home, when a hundred apple trees are blossoming all at once. She's a little girl again, running through the trees with her golden retriever, dashing through the rows and rows of blossoming trees in chase of a tennis ball. My God, why did I leave? She says to herself and pain stabs at her heart. My dog back home eats better than I do. She's sobbing, and she knows in a flash that more than anything else in the world, she just wants to go home. Three straight phone calls home, three straight connections with the answering machine. She hangs up without leaving a message the first two times. But the third time, she does. 
Dad, Mum, it's me. I was wondering maybe about coming home. I'm catching a bus up your way. I'll be there about midnight tomorrow. If you're not there, well, I guess I'll just stay on the bus. It'll turn round and come back to London. I'll understand. It takes about six hours for a bus to make all the stops between London and Manchester. And during that time, she starts to realise all the flaws in her plan. What if her parents are out of town and miss the message? Shouldn't she have waited another day or so until she could talk to them? And even if they are at home, they probably wrote her off as dead long ago. Her thoughts bounce back and forth between these worries and the speech that she's preparing for her father in her head. Dad, I'm sorry. I know I was wrong. It's not your fault. It's all mine. Dad, can you forgive me? She says the words over and over again, her throat tightening even as she rehearses them. She hasn't apologised to anyone in years. The bus has been driving with lights on since Birmingham, tiny slow snowflakes in the headlights. She's forgotten how dark it gets at night outside London. A rabbit darts across the road and the bus driver brakes gently to avoid it. Then suddenly there's a sign posting the mileage to Manchester. Oh no. The bus finally rolls into the station. The air brakes hiss. She checks herself in a compact mirror, smooths her hair and licks the lipstick off her teeth. She looks at the tobacco stains on her fingertips and wonders if her parents will notice, if they're here. Then the driver announces in a crackly voice over the microphone, Fifteen minutes, folks, fifteen minutes, that's all we have. Fifteen minutes. She's got fifteen minutes to decide the rest of her life. What's she going to do? What happened next? Well, I'll tell you, but first, you may have heard a story like this before. A story that Jesus told of a boy who left home with his father's money, wasted it all and ended up with nothing. He came home to say sorry, to ask his dad to take him on as a servant. And you know, if we'd been that boy's dad, probably we would have had enough. Probably we would have said, well, you're going to have to pay for what you've done. You need to promise never to do anything like that again. But God's not like that. The Bible tells us that God was already waiting. He was looking for his boy every day. You see... Maybe we haven't done things as bad as that boy or that girl, but we've all done stuff wrong all the time, and God sees us in the distance. And as soon as we realise we need him, as soon as we turn, he's there waiting, he's looking, saying, Is that my little boy? Could that be my own little girl coming back after so long? Is that really my child? And God runs. He runs fast. The verse in the Bible says, His heart was filled with pity, and he ran. He ran to throw his arms around his child. God sees us in the distance, and when we turn from something that's wrong and we want to come back, he sees us in the distance, and he doesn't wait. He comes running to throw his arms around us and to show his complete love for us. That's God's grace. So does that mean, you say, that God's soft on sin? Does it mean that he doesn't care what we do? No. When God took the prodigal son back, did he talk to him about his sin? Oh, yes. Did he sit down and say, Listen, my child, we've got to put your life right and stop you doing those things. Oh, yes, but not before he'd shown his love for his child. You see, God accepts us first, completely, without condition, before he starts to deal with our sin. Grace, you see, is even greater than truth. It's even greater than justice. So anyway, what happened to the girl on the bus? Well, she walks into the terminal, not knowing what to expect. She's thought through all the possible things that could happen now, but not one of them prepares her for what she sees. There in the concrete walls and plastic chairs, 
in a Manchester bus station stands a group of more than 30 brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles and cousins, grandmother and a great-grandmother to boot. They're all wearing these goofy party hats and taped across the entire wall of the terminal is a computer-generated banner that just reads, Welcome Home. Out of the crowd of well-wishers breaks her dad. She stares out through the tears, which are like hot water streaming down her face, as she starts her memorised speech. Dad, I'm sorry, I know I was wrong. It's not your fault, he interrupts her. Hush, child. We've got no time for that now. No time for apologies. We've got a heck of a party waiting for you. Thank you, Chris, for um, sending in your reflections this week. It's been fantastic, and um, what a beautiful thing um, that Grace is. And I read, uh, I think it may have been in the Philip Yancey book, that Grace should be the one thing that sets Christians apart from the people around them. You know, people love each other, they're loyal to each other, but Grace is a really beautiful thing where we experience God's love, but we have that full 